0: The stories shared on It Takes Balls are unique to the individual sharing. Always speak with your trusted medical provider for treatment options specific to you. Welcome back to It Takes Balls. Today I'm joined by Manny De La Cruz. He's probably the, when you think about timelines, I've talked to survivors who are years and years out. Manny's fresh out of it. Manny, thank you for being here and joining from Maryland.
1: Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me on.
0: So when I say, I mean, you're, you're fresh out, you are fresh out. You just recently finished your treatment.
1: Yes. Uh, I finished up my fourth cycle of chemo technically last Friday, uh, Friday, the 7th of October was day 21 of the of the cycle for my fourth, fourth cycle of uh,
0: EP. Before we get into talking about your testicular cancer, let's talk about who you are and how you came to discover that you had it.
1: So, uh, like you mentioned, my name is, uh, Manny De La Cruz. Um, I am originally from California grew born and raised in California. Uh, went to high school and then I went to college. I went to the Naval Academy. Uh, and I'm currently serving on active duty, uh, living out here in Maryland. Um, I learned about the cancer. Uh, I had very, very bad, uh, scrotal pain, uh, back in January. Uh, I was at work, it was the middle of the night, uh, and it was unbearable. Uh, I was almost to the point where like, I was hunching over, couldn't really walk around, and yeah, it, it was just miserable pain. Um, and it took a lot for me to, to not necessarily own up to it, but just to admit that I needed to go to the ER. Um, so called, uh, look, looked up on Google, <laughs> I ended up actually Googling the closest ER that I had to work. Uh, and I went to an ER, uh, that had the most Google ratings or the highest Google ratings, which turned out not, not to be the the best choice to go to, um, bedside manner in the patient care, uh, was not the most, uh, pleasing to me personally. Um, yeah. And then they did an ultrasound. Uh, the ER doctor came back in after waiting a couple hours and he pretty much told me, yeah, it looks like you have, you have cancer. Sorry to tell you in this manner. Uh, and yeah, that's how I found out
0: crazy, man. So how long was it? Tell me again, the, the timeline from, so you noticed it in the middle of the night and then did you, you immediately went to the doctor Were there days in between.
1: So I, so this was on the 26th of January of this year. Uh, so the morning of the 25th is when I went to the ER, uh, probably around five in the morning, uh, is when probably four or five in the morning is when the, ER doctor came back with the ultrasound results after um, speaking to a, a urologist. And that's when he confirmed that there was a mass on my left testicle and he pretty much said that I had cancer. So that was the, the 20, 20, I forgot what what day it was, but it was the morning after. And following that I went to another hospital um, cause I, I wanted to get a second opinion. I took the ultrasound results. Um, and I, pretty much had it confirmed by another uh, urological oncologist who saw the case and picked it up and and pulled me um, into his office and kind of just confirmed the news and broke the news to me uh, that I had cancer and, you know, these were the next steps that needed to happen.
0: Uh, Where were you in your life at this time? I know you, I think in your submission, you said you were just recently engaged.
1: So not engaged at that point. Um, I I had been thinking about it for, a while. Um, I had asked for, for now, my, my now wife's hand in marriage from her, from my father-in-law, uh, that Christmas or during the new year's Christmas timeframe. Um, so I had planning on, you know, popping the question, but January was before I had planned the engagement. Uh, I had actually planned the engagement for February 14th, which was about a week and a half after I had my orchiectomy. So that was uh interesting time. <laughs> I had a, I had it all planned. So I had you, it all planned and I wasn't gonna let it I wasn't gonna let it stop me. So I had plans.
0: Nice. You, you, you went through with it still?
1: Yes. Yes I did.
0: Nice. <laughs> can't beat that with a stick.
1: <laughs> no, it was it was interesting to plan. Um and there was a there was a whole lot of other stuff going on as well during that time. I closed so I when I got diagnosed I was actually an, an escrow on my home. Um, and the day that I had the confirmation from the oncologist was the same day that I closed on my house. Um, so that was an interesting time. I signed all the closing documents in the morning, didn't get to see the house. And then I went straight to the hospital cause I had an appointment later that afternoon. Uh, and then he, he you know, reconfirmed or broke the news again, and then finally made it back home to finish moving into my new home.
0: Nice dude. Yeah. That seems like it's the, the theme as it happens, right. When people are in the middle of things, how old are you? I don't know if we said that yet.
1: Uh, I'm 30 years old. Okay.
0: Yeah. So you're right Mm -hmm. in that, in that age range of uh, 15 to 44. Um, Mm -hmm. where was I going to go with this? Okay. So take me through your, was testicular cancer ever on your radar before it happened to you? Like, had you had any friends that had had it? Did you know that it was even something to be concerned about?
1: No, it, it was not. Uh, I did, personally did not know anybody with it. Um, I do have a family history of cancer. My my mother passed away a couple of years back from oh, no. uh, from a, a cancer. Um, so that was pretty recent. So, I mean, we, I knew about it, not testicular cancer specifically, but I knew about cancer and, you know, what it can do to a family, what it can do to a support system, uh, and just having to live through that process as as a caregiver. Now um, it's just a different experience um, on the other side as Hopefully a survivor, you yeah. know, knock on wood, depending on how my, my next appointment goes with my oncologist.
0: Oh, you got this. I'm sorry to hear about your mom too. How did this, uh, how did this kind of emotionally play in? I mean, and you talked about, you were planning your engagement and you talked about with your mom, like the support system, you're now wife. I mean, how did that kind of affect your relationship?
1: Uh, it put a lot of things, not necessarily on the fast track, but I, we definitely got to know each other a lot better. And I think the way that, um, my wife supported me throughout the entire process, just like my family did really solidified, um, that she's, she's the person that I wanted to marry or that I, that I ended up marrying and that I wanted to marry. Um, so I guess you could say that it, it really did put things on the fast track and it, it just kind of I was very certain after really the first surgery that uh, like I'm making the right decision and, and, you know, going through with it. Um, now emotionally, it's it's honestly been a roller coaster over the past nine I guess nine months now at this point uh just ups and downs of everything that's going on you know medically personally um just in all facets of the life
0: yeah I mean talk about your engagement and you say not your wife I mean so you got married while being treated
1: <laughs> yes yes we did um I was when I got diagnosed I guess a big I was a big proponent of not letting this hinder me and what I had for goals personally, professionally, um, just in my life in general. Like I, I had, you know, these new year's resolutions that I, that I had set out with that, you know, just like everybody else, some of us only got through a portion of them. Um, but I had various goals that I had set for myself. Um, and I didn't want to let this define, you know, this year or me, um, and stop me from what I was trying to do with my life or just progress in general.
0: Awesome, dude. So, okay. So, when you first heard the word cancer, and it had not, testicular cancer had not been on your radar, what did that? How? What did that do to you?
1: Oh man! I um, immediately had. Well, at first, because of the experience that I had at the at the ER, I didn't believe the ER physician. Um, and then it kind of sat with me, and I read the ultrasound report. Uh, and I, obviously I did my own research because I like to do my own research. Um, but I honestly didn't believe it until I sat down with another, another, uh, urologist oncologist. Um, and at that point, uh, it, it really hit me. Like I, you know, the feeling of like where you have a big, something big in your throat and, um, I guess I, d- I didn't know how to explain it, but it really, you know, you know, put me on my ass if you will um, about how I was feeling, you know, what I had to deal with. And I didn't know what all it meant. I didn't know. I had no idea what the treatment options would be. Um, I didn't know that, you know, following him breaking the news that the the, the surgeon was going to say, all right, we can take it out and, in, in uh, before the end of the week <laughs> and think about this, this is Monday. And no, this was Tuesday that I saw, um, the physician or the urologic oncologist. And he said that he could have us, uh, or oh, time schedule for Thursday. Mm. So like a two day, a two day turnaround he's like, Oh yeah, we can get you in and out. Um, and we'll be done with it. And it was, it was, it all moved very quickly in the first week or so. Um, and it was a lot to process and a lot to handle personally.
0: Yeah. Uh, were you left or right? Left. Same, same. So, okay. <laughs> so we know you had the orchiectomy. Uh, what were your other treatments?
1: So I had the orchiectomy in uh beginning of February, February 3rd. Um and then, you know, a couple months passed, had uh the first follow-up labs and then uh, those that ended up coming back were actually no I take that back. The pathology came back from the orchiectomy and they had found uh I guess what's called lymphovascular invasion um that had spread up through the spermatic cord uh and that's when the oncologist gave me the, the treatment options of surgery or um, surveillance. I opted for surgery because I, w- I just wanted to be be done with it at that point. So mm-hmm. I had ended up having surgery in April. Um, three months passed. Three, no, April, May, June, July. Yeah, about three months passed. Uh, and then I did my next set of follow-up labs and chest x C CT scans. Um, and then I got another phone call from the oncologist. Uh, saying that my uh, tumor markers were still elevated. I believe it was my HCG was elevated still. Um, and he said that could only mean one thing. Um, and he said that that meant chemo, that I fell on a very small percentile of uh, individuals that have to, you know, continue treatment after the orchiectomy, the surgery, the RPL&D, um, and still having, you know, signs of cancer in, in my system. So that was all within of so February, April... July. July is when I started chemo.
0: So you had the orchiectomy and was it the, you had the RPL&D it says on your submission. So you mm-hmm. had a pre-chemo RPL&D.
1: Yes, I did.
0: Did you have any uh, side effects from that? Like the retrograde ejaculation or anything like that?
1: No. Um, thankfully, I I did not um, have that side effect specifically. I mean, there was other ones, you know, just dealing with the, the pain. Um, just the left side of of my body it doesn't have the same sense same, same sensation as the right side of my body was so there's some potentially some nerve uh, recovery that's still going on uh, just on the left side of my body because it was a it was a left templated uh, RPLND um, but I, no thankfully I I did not have that issue um, and before the RPLND they had a, advice that I go through with uh, the spring banking process to you know preserve that option for future use and so that's what i elected to do um did a couple rounds of that uh just to make sure that you know I, I was ready ready following any um you know unusual circumstances where i wasn't able to you know ejaculate naturally all
0: right so you had the RPLND and i mean what is that like emotionally you know you think you're done maybe after the orchiectomy and then you have this RPLND which is a major surgery and then you think yes. you're done and then find out you have to have chemo. I mean, what does that kind of do? Does that knock you down over and over again?
1: Yes. It it was a lot to handle just the surprisingly the orchiectomy um, emotionally because everything was so quick and I just, I just wanted to be done and over with it over with it. um, The orchiectomy didn't affect me too much as much as the RPL and D and the chemo did. Um, RPL and D is, is definitely a major surgery. And the recovery was a very long process. I'm normally a very fit person. I like to be outdoors. I like to exercise. I love mountain biking. I just love, you know, I'm fit. Um, or I try to be at least and try to be healthy. Uh, but that definitely put me, set me back a little bit. And, uh, it took a lot, uh, to get back into the, the swing of things. And just as I, I was trying to get back to my my normal level of physical fitness. Um, that's kind of like when, when they called me back and said, I got to do, go through chemo. And that hit me a lot harder. Um, because I, it, me personally and with, with my family, we had this perception of chemo and how it affects individuals because we saw my mom go through it. She went through a couple rounds when she, um, she was fighting her cancer battle. Um, so I had this picture in my head of what chemo does to a person. So that is what, I was personally mentally preparing for. Um, so she, obviously she passed away, unfortunately. So that, that is what I was looking at and you know, kind of aligning myself to, to prepare for emotionally, mentally, physically, me personally, and also prepare my wife to, to go through that as well. Um, and it just being a very not so pleasant time. Um, so that was definitely one of the harder things to get through is just pre chemo. It was, there was a lot of anxiety, uh, you know, even through the port placement, just just every little bit of the process it hasn't been a fun couple of months, but hopefully, you know, I'm I'm through the uh, through the dark times and, you know, onto recovery and full remission at this point.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you know, you mentioned the port. I don't think that's something that we've really talked about on this podcast at all, which but it is a common thing and if mm-hmm. you're you know just diagnosed and you don't know what we're talking about, the the Metaport kinda goes and we're not doctors, so we can't speak to exactly what it does, but it, they put it in your chest right. and they, they put this tube that goes, I guess, into one of your neck veins. I, I don't know mm-hmm. the medical, you said you did your research. Maybe you know better than I do, but um, yeah, so that you can deliver chemo through that more right. easily than uh, in your arm. Cause that would do probably damage to your veins. Um, okay. So you did the chemo through your port. Um, which kind of chemo did you do?
1: So, uh, initially, the plan was for three cycles of uh, BEP, and that's uh, bleomycin, atopicide, and cisplatin. Uh, so that started July 18th, I believe, July or mid- middle of July time frame. Um, so I did all the pre- chemo tests, labs, you know, baseline tests, I did an audiogram, I did a, a pulmonary function test. Everything came back, you know, good. I had the baseline for everything. And then I went through 21 day cycle of BEP. So days one through five was, well, day one was all three medications. And then day two through five was the top of, side of cisplatin. And then the next following weeks was on day eight and day 15. I had an infusion with uh, blue mycin. Um And then that third day is 21 through, well, really day 18 to 21 was like my "quote unquote" recovery week, um, and it was during that time that I did my next set of uh, labs. So I did another pulmonary function test. I did um, more more labs to check my, my my toxicity and a couple other tests. And it was when I did the pulmonary function test um, they found that there was a significant not. Like, I don't know whether or not it was significant significant enough. To my oncologist and the, and the the medical team that they ended up changing the treatment plan from BEP to ep um, so that was an interesting time because i had a, we also had a, a COVID scare mm. uh here at, here at home so it, it was just it was just a lot of stuff going on They them refusing to do the uh the pulmonary function test because i had on the on the screening forum i said that i was in close contact with somebody that was pending a COVID test so they didn't let me do the test, which, you know, back, not backtrack, but put the infusion schedule, um, it got it off schedule. So it kind of messed a couple of things up, um, when I had to redo a couple of things. Um, so that was the first cycle of BEP. And then they said, because of that, I have to do, um, three additional cycles of just EP. So top aside and cisplatin. So that's what we ended up going with. Um,
0: And yeah. Uh, you mentioned being fit did, let's go back to the beginning working and, uh, and mountain biking and all that. How much time did you have to take off of doing those things? Uh, and then I guess as you got into the, the chemo, maybe it slowed down.
1: Uh, so before, before just any of the, any of like just the initial diagnosis, I was, pretty active i would you know work out you know if not every day during the week to a couple times during the week but um physically i guess there's physical activity during chemo it didn't happen very often because i was always very tired or i was either nauseous or i I just didn't feel well or i just either wasn't eating well so I, i just didn't have a lot of energy um and it really took a lot out of me physically um, where I, I wasn't as active, uh, as I would have liked and potentially, you know, just getting outside would have probably made me feel better. You know, some, some sunlight always makes somebody feel better to some extent instead of being, you know, stuck inside the house all the time. Um, but I definitely wasn't as active as I would have liked and, you know, trying to regain that now after, after all the infusions, after all the, the treatment cycles.
0: Talk when you talk about t- like it, uh, taking it out of you physically and we mentioned at the beginning, you are kind of fresh out, like for me being, uh, three years out, which soon you'll be and and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I kind of remember the big moments, but I don't really remember the day to day. So talk kind of about the day to day. If you remember it, like how it, how the chemo made you feel.
1: Oh, um, day. So I guess we could start I actually kept a log of it. I have it written somewhere like my, my uh, symptoms. Uh, but the major symptoms that I had was the, the fatigue. Um, following the infusion on like day one through five, um, we would wake up at, because we had to commute to the hospital and it was about an hour and a half commute. Because oh um, our, my appointments were at either eight o'clock or nine o'clock and fighting DC traffic to get to um, where, where I was getting my treatment done. It was about an hour and a half uh, on a good day, depending on what time we left. Mm. Um, so we would get up at probably 5.30, 5 o'clock at the earliest. i uh, try to get some breakfast in, show up for the infusion. Um, you know, it would start, they would give me the hydration, uh, and I'd be done around 1 o'clock. And at that point, I would be exhausted. Not only because the, the medication takes it out of me, but they would pre-medicate me with, um, Benadryl because I ended up having an allergic reaction to one of the medications on the first day. And that was not a fun experience. I was seeing stars and I was having hot flashes and it was not great. So, um, they, they put that as a standing order. My, the oncologist put that as a standing order where they gave me Benadryl, uh, to counteract the allergic reaction. But another side effect of Benadryl is that it makes you very sleepy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, come 930, nine 30, nine, 30, nine o'clock, um, you're getting all the pre-medications and you just get really tired and that lasts pretty much throughout the day. Um, right around three, four, sometimes five o'clock. That's when the Benadryl would wear off. So obviously I wasn't able to, to drive at that point. So my wife, you know, she would be at the hospital with me. We'd drive home. Uh, and then I would go to sleep. I would nap or try to eat something immediately um, to help, you know, get some energy back in or, you know, get some food in me to make me feel better. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes always works. That didn't work. Um, but because if I did nap throughout the day, um, I usually don't nap at all. Like I, I just sleep at night. Um, so if I did nap throughout the day, I would, I would not be able to sleep in the evening or at night. So I had, I'm still having issues with insomnia right now. Um, where I have a lot of, a lot of trouble sleeping. Um, so that was one of the side effects. I also had a lot of issues with um, migraines during my first cycles. I would have terrible, terrible migraines where like I couldn't open my eyes, I would be stuck to the bed. I had a ice pack on my head. Um, so I ended up having a, a consult with a neurologist and, and they assisted with uh, some medications to help out with the migraines as well. Um, so I'm on that until I schedule another follow-up, which I'd be doing soon. <laughs> um to help out with the migraines and they have subsided to some extent Uh, and i only get them once in a while as opposed to every day during during chemo um so that that wasn't fun so insomnia not sleeping a couple of the migraines and nausea um the whole days one through five of each cycle were were not uh, the best time so uh, and obviously that all that coupled together plus the chemo uh, just causes a lot of fatigue um so I was I just felt like I was always tired. Um and the nausea was really bad during the first cycle where like just certain smells uh would kind of set me off and I would feel like I was I was going to vomit but I never actually vomited. Um so whatever side effect I mean obviously made sure to share that with the nurses and
0: Which smells uh, was
1: it? Fried food? Okay. I think one time, uh, I uh, either myself, I tried to make a sandwich. It was like with, it was like, I was making an egg. I think it was in the kitchen on, it was like day six, uh, which is a Saturday, like the following morning. And just the smell of the butter and the food cooking just made me, just made me sick. So we always had uh, the little, we bought them off of Amazon. It's like they sell them in packs of a hundred, I guess the vomit bags. Oh, wow. So I always had those ready wherever we go if we were to leave the house i'd have two in the car i'd have one in my backpack that i would take into the hospital with me you know if we would go to mass like she my wife she would have one in, in her purse like we were always ready uh just in case something happened
0: how many did you uh, use out of the hundred
1: um uh, i only used maybe like 10. not bad um uh, not bad uh, so i never got to the point where i was actually vomiting It it was just smells would trigger the feeling of nausea. Yeah. But it never, it never got to the point where like I was, you know, stuff was coming out of my body, Mm. thankfully, um, which I was also very surprised about because what I saw with my mom, it was the complete opposite. Like she, she, she wasn't able to, you know, to deescalate, you know, that sensation of her having to vomit. Um, so she used, she used them like clock. that's how we knew about them is because we bought them for her. Uh, so once, once we knew I was going to do chemo, right, we got to, we got to order these things because they're going to come in handy and they did. Oh, thankfully.
0: Nice. All right. So I got you off track. You were talking about this, like how treatment made you feel. <laughs> I think you got to, uh, that's my fault. I got you off track. I think we were, must've been day six ish. Cause you were talking about the smells. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah. So days one through five, um, all the symptoms that I mentioned, um, and then I would get through get through the weekend. And if I didn't stay on top of uh, the medications, like the nausea medications, that would obviously make it worse. Because on day one, they give you a long they gave me a long lasting nausea medication that would generally wear off at day five. Um, so if I if I forgot about the nausea medication, that would you know come with an onset of nausea, um, and then come day six. For the bleomycin infusion, specifically for cycle one, it was honestly just like the other infusions. They would premedicate me, um, and I would just be very tired the day of the the day of the infusions for day eight and day sixteen. Um, but from day nine to day fifteen, it was just the normal symptoms of fatigue, insomnia, um, nausea, uh, migraines here once once in a while. Um, and just getting around, like doing day to day tasks that started getting progressively harder, um, throughout each, each cycle, um, like just cleaning the kitchen or washing the dishes or, you know, taking out the trash, um, that started getting progressively harder or things like, um, uh, walking to, a, from a parking lot or walking around the grocery store, I would notice that I would get winded, um, just walking around the grocery store and that had never happened before. And mm-hmm. that took a lot for me to process and, and get used to, um, accepting as, as far as what I'm physically capable of versus, or compared to what I was normally able to do. And it's still, uh, it's still a process. I'm still getting used to it. Um, you know, just slowing down, uh, and, and understanding my limits. Cause you, I can easily overdo it. Uh, and you know, things won't turn out well. Uh, if I do, I, I recall, a I had to change a tire, uh, flat tire once, and my my father in law was here visiting, um, and I was so set on changing the tire, and I wasn't doing it in the most efficient manner, and I was just you know stressing my my body physically, um, and I got to the point where I was about ready to pass out because mm-hmm. I just wasn't paying paying attention to myself and to you know how I was doing physically, uh, and I you know stood up, I was very lightheaded, and I said, okay, let I'm not going to do that again. Um, so thankfully I didn't pass out. Um, but yeah, just things like that where like day to day tasks became increasingly difficult as the days went on. Um, and for me personally, it, w- it was very annoying cause I'm very, I'm a very independent person and, uh, asking somebody to asking somebody to help me do, you know, insert whatever day to day tasks, um, took a lot for me to do uh, honestly. And it, it it wasn't a fun time. It's arguably one of the hardest things that I've had, not maybe not the hardest things, but one of the difficult things that I've dealt with personally is accepting help from others because I'm relatively or I try to be as independent as I can.
0: Yeah. So did you take all this time off of work or drink chemo or were you still going in a few days?
1: No, thankfully, um, work was very understanding with, um, you know, the diagnosis, uh, they weren't, um, they didn't want to be an additional stressor to me. So, um, I was nice. able to take the time off of work and just focus on the chemotherapy, you know, staying as sane as possible throughout the entire process. Um, so I'm very thankful for the the flexibility that they provided. They've been providing.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned like being winded, doing all those things, being somebody who was fit before, I'm sure you know, as you increasingly distance yourself from treatment, you'll get your stamina back. I was never really active. So, mm-hmm. and I'm still not. Um, <laughs> and like this summer I was at the skate park for the first time in a long time, filming some friends. And I thought, I really thought I was going to die. Like it was so, I don't know if it was the heat or if it was just my stamina solo, but if you like are active, you'll probably get back to how you were. It
1: takes, it takes time.
0: I, I signed up through, uh, through the
1: there's a foundation that the hospital, um, there's a patient navigator that works there. She's been very helpful, but uh, she put me in contact with, uh, something called the almond foundation. But bottom line is that they have a, a 5k that they have cancer survivors. Um, it's called the cancer to 5k and th- it was just something to put on the calendar as like a goal for myself. Yeah. Um, so I think it's on October 23rd is when the 5k is, um, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I went running today and it was a very interesting time.
0: <laughs> we're recording this October 12th. This is going to come out November, uh, 29th, I think. So we'll just say, congratulations. Okay. You ran the, the okay. race. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, I mean, as things compounded, how were, how did that make you feel day to day?
1: As far as, well, I guess just all the symptoms and just everything with chemo. Yeah. Um, I guess it really depended on on what I had planned for the day and what I was and wasn't able to do. Um, so I would either be, like, if we had nothing planned for the day, then, you know, we'd just stay home. Obviously, because we try to stay home, we want to limit ourselves from exposure to, to other people that are getting sick because immune system is not what it used to be or not what it needs to be. Um, so if we had stuff planned, uh, then... Having to plan around my limitations uh, was not the f- most fun um, because I had to accept my limitations at that point. As far as you know, I can only stay standing for so long, or I, I'm only uh, I can only be outside for so long. Or you know, I started wearing these long sleeve shirts everywhere because my skin became very sensitive to the sun. Um, for due to I don't know which of the three medications, but that was one of the additional side effects. Was I. I would sunburn very easily, which I'm not used to. I'm not, I'm relatively dark skinned. I never generally wore uh, a lot of sunscreen growing up, but it was, it was a new thing, a new, I guess not limitation, but a new planning factor to to incorporate in, you know, the day to day. So if we had stuff planned, that was, that's was the most difficult part is planning around my new limitations.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. So you finished treatment, you said, like last last Friday. Friday, yeah. So you really are fresh out. Um, so where do you, where do you go from here? I mean, you are, you've had the RPL and D. So what are they saying might be the next steps? Hopefully you're clean, but you're you have scans yeah. later this month.
1: Yes, so I have a scan scheduled for twenty five October, and then the follow up appointment with my oncologist on the twenty sixth. Um, following that, uh, I'd have to go back to the specific notes, but it's. I think every three months, uh, I'll have a CT scan labs drawn every couple months. Um, audio, audio tests every couple months, because one thing I forgot to mention is I had, uh, ear ringing, uh, I think it's called tinnitus. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was that I had that start during cycle one and I still have it to this point. I just don't notice it as much. Um, but that was documented as, as a known side effect to, I forgot which one of the medications it was. Um, so I have that scheduled every so often. And then uh, pulmonary function test, I have that scheduled as well for, I think it's every year up until 2020 something. Um, so hoping for good news on the on the 26th of October where they say, you know, we got it all because that was the goal is complete, um, not removal. I don't know what the specific terminology is for what the goal of the chemo, cause there's different goals that they set um, for different patients. Um, so yeah, <laughs> hopefully I'll me, I'll be like you three years from now. And you know, it's, it's all in our rearview mirror and we're just survivors at that point.
0: Dang. Right. All right. So somebody who just got diagnosed, you're, they're listening to this podcast because they searched testicular cancer and they, and they came across this episode. What do you say to them?
1: Uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel, um, for sure, regardless of what your treatment options are. Um, and you will hear that you will hear either the medical team or your nurses that say that testicular cancer is arguably the best cancer to get because it has the highest, you know, chance of, uh, recovery. Um, everybody's different. Just know that, um, you know, trust your medical team, make sure you ask all the questions, um, never feel like you have to, to go with, you know, one person's opinion. Uh, and if you do, there's always, you know, other sources, resources that you can do your own research. Uh, there's patient navigators, you know, other social workers that can help you out and point you in the directions of all sorts of resources where you can get all the answers to your questions before um, you do a surgery, before you start chemotherapy. Um, is yeah, that's what I would, that would offer is try to get all the questions answered as much as you can um, because it's, it's a long process depending on, you know, the staging of, of, of what you may have.
0: Great advice. Were you a big hair guy before, before chemo?
1: I was, <laughs> I was, I had a full head of hair. Um, it started falling out between cycle two and, or between cycle one and cycle two. And, uh, I got tired of seeing the hairline around. So I, I opted to shave the head and just keep it. It's, slowly starting to grow back um but it's still splotchy so until it fully grows back i'm just gonna keep shaving my head
0: yeah well by the time this episode comes out in a month and a half you'll have a you'll have a full head of hair. you'll have it down your down to your hips (laughs) i hope so Um, not quite that but but it it should be coming back by then um is there anything else that you want to add that we didn't talk about
1: um no i think i think we covered a lot of the uh the cancer experience um for, for anybody else that's listening, it's, uh, you know, there's, like I said, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it may be hard while you're going through it. Um, I mean, it may not be fun, but you can definitely do it. And uh, there's all sorts of support resources that you can seek out. You can call me if you want, and I'll talk to you um, if you need to talk to somebody.
0: Uh, you mentioned uh, your mom unfortunately passed, and you've had it. So you've ha- you've seen cancer now from different perspectives. How has this, um, both of those journeys kind of shaped your perspective on life if at all Mm -hmm.
1: yeah um it definitely you know taught me to to not take things for granted um you know specifically with the time with my mom you know Mm -hmm. i was only able to be with her we she was only with us for so long so um there's certain things that you don't necessarily it it, i guess it puts things into perspective as to you know, what's the big deal versus like what you you have to cherish while you still have it. Um, and having gone through it from, you know, the, the caregiver side and it's, it's, it's the patient side, um, I also understand that it's, it's a lot for, for the it. caregiver. It was a lot for my wife and I'm definitely very appreciative of the sacrifices that she has made, that my family has made, that her family has made, uh, throughout the process. So just as we're going through it as patients, it's a lot for them, um, to see their loved one, going through that and just getting you know their body beat down uh, from from medications or you know surgeries and having to re- having to see somebody recover that they love so much so um that's another thing that I put into perspective that is because I saw it, like it was a lot for me personally having to see my mom go through it and pass from cancer um it, it's uh I'm definitely more very more much appreciative of of what my wife has done for me uh, throughout this entire process and I wouldn't would honestly I wouldn't have been able to do it without her 100 percent.
0: Shout out to all the caregivers. Uh, is is testicular cancer something that you kind of go around and, and and tell all your friends about now or? Um?
1: Uh, so initially it wasn't. Um, I initially I was honestly kind of embarrassed about it for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, maybe because I had to admit that there was something wrong with me or I'm not sure. But when I had the orchiectomy, I was embarrassed about it. And I refused to tell anybody about it. I kept like people that needed to know, knew my family, my wife. Um, And I think following the surgery is following the surgery. And once I had chemo is when I started to become more open about it. Um, and I was, once I started chemo, I was definitely more open about it and I b- became more open about it as well. And I felt more comfortable with it. Um, cause I went to, uh, there was like some support groups, um, that are available through, through the hospital and through the Allman foundation that I've dialed into. Um, and the first couple of them, I, w- I went to a, a, one of them, uh, and I spoke to other survivors and I felt like my, my story didn't hold light to what they're they have went through um and then it really made me realize that everybody's journey is different um but I guess it I felt more comfortable with it once I had to do chemo because it felt like I hit it sounds maybe morbid to say and I don't know how to explain it but I I felt like I hit all the boxes of like right well I did the had to do the orchiectomy I had to do the RPLND now I had to do chemo so I felt like I checked all the boxes of having do chemo Having to do chemo and, like, I guess the continuum of cancer treatment for testicular cancer, that I became more vocal about it. Um, and I, now somebody will ask me, like, yep, I have had, hopefully, uh, cancer. Uh, but before, I, I definitely was not. I was like, yep, I'm just a normal guy. Um, so I guess it has progressed throughout these eight to nine months where now I'll talk about it, I'll talk about it just about anybody. And I'll be an advocate to, to, you know, all my friends and whoever else to, to make sure they're vigilant, um, to themselves personally. And they do their, you know, their own checks, um, to prevent that. Cause I, if they, they can prevent it or catch it early, you know, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. So whatever ounce of prevention or whatever, um, source of, you know, reassurance that, you know, other patients or survivors can provide to help people, that's what I would like to do.
0: You mentioned people could call you. I'm not going to have you put your phone number out here, but where can people find you?
1: Um, they can find me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is MD one zero That's my in- uh, Feel free to reach out. If you have any questions, if you're just looking for somebody to talk to, uh, I'm more than willing. And uh, if anybody else is uh, to anybody that's also listening, One of my personal goals throughout this process was to not let cancer hinder hinder my goals uh or define what i what i had done um and that's why i i elected to go through with the engagement Uh, i you know purchased the house um one of the other things i did is i i decided to sign up for an mba program in the middle of chemo uh and i had my you know first set of classes during chemo and that was not fun, um, but I I was determined to not let cancer stop what uh, I had planned for myself personally and professionally, and I just, you know, wanted to keep on going. And, you know, it'd it, it just be another planning factor vice uh, you know, something that is preventing me from doing something, something that I had planned for myself.
0: Well, you are freaking crushing it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you mentioned the support groups. I think you're part of the face the testicular cancer awareness foundation one i believe correct yeah, yeah 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 so anybody who's listening is not a part of it Testicular cancer awareness foundation has a support group um if you don't have one at your local hospital even if you do join it it's good to have you know other people with testicular cancer to to bounce your feelings off of um manny de la cruz thank you so much for being a guest on it takes balls
1: thank you so much i appreciate your time
0: for more information and resources for your testicular cancer journey, visit TesticularCancerAwarenessFoundation.org. You can also follow us on social media at TestisCancer. We're on Facebook at Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation.